All right, welcome to the first Cornerstone Pickwist Sermon Discussion Podcast. Uh, we actually don't even have a name for this yet. What we're doing here is, uh, if you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm here with Steve, um, one of the pastoral candidates in our church. And what we're planning to do with these is just work through some of our thoughts from the previous week's sermon. And so we thought, what a better time to do that. Uh, except when everyone is stuck at home and has nothing to do. Um, And as you can probably already tell, we're using cheap equipment to do this. And so you're going to probably hear a lot of background noise and you're going to hear a lot of shuffling of papers. Um, But uh, like I said, you got nothing else to do. So sit down and uh, chill out and just uh, tune in. Um, And send us questions. If you have any uh, questions that you would like us to answer, if we can't answer, um, you've got my email or uh, just send us a message on Facebook or something. Uh, so the reason we're doing this is we're just going to dive deeper into uh, the texts that we looked at on the previous sermon and uh, sort of maybe go back and forth about some questions uh, from the text that we really didn't have time to address in a sermon. There's only so much you can talk about in a sermon. And so uh, some of this will be just us riffing off of some ideas that we had. Um, Some of this will be me picking um, Steve's brain. He's smarter than me and uh, remembers stuff better than me, so I'll be picking his brain. Um, I don't believe that. (laughs) Well, one of the first things I wanted to ask, uh, Sunday's sermon was about uh, Christ-exalting worship. And we're working our way through our, our church's mission statement and... A couple of weeks ago, we looked at preaching, and then last Sunday, we looked at Christ-exalting worship. One of the big ideas in that sermon was that the order of our worship service is important, that we have chosen a particular order of service for a particular reason, and uh, we we have attempted to structure our services uh, around elements of the gospel, and so we'll, we'll talk about some of those elements and, and ask some questions about why we do that. But before I, I get there, I wanted to sort of just ask the kind of before question, which is, um, wh- what do we do to prepare for a Sunday morning? Like, what are some of the things that you and your family do to prepare for Sunday morning worship? Uh, one thing we've done in the past is we... Like on Saturday evenings for family worship, we don't, I'm honestly I'm not very good at this. This is not something that we do every single week. But um, what I've tried to do in the past, and and when I, I remember it, um, and the, with three small children, so dealing with them in the evenings on a Saturday sometimes can get a little a little tough with baths and all that kind of stuff. But what I like to do is look at the um, the worship guide from the previous week, it'll have the, the sermon or it'll have the, the, the passage that we're going to be studying. And so just read that as a family and, and then just start kind of thinking through that. Um, what is the sermon going to, what does the passage say? And then just start thinking through. Um, and, and at this point with a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, we can't really discuss too much with the kids, but it's just for, for me, just sitting there and reading it, and I know for, for my wife, if we read the passage together before on, on a Saturday night going into Sunday morning, um, then it kind of gets our mind thinking in that in that mode. Like I said, that's not something we do every week. Um, it's something we need to do a much better job of. Um, but it's, it is something that we have done in the past. I've tried to do in the past. 
I mean, other things like on Sunday morning, um, those can be real busy times. But if I have the chance, just sit down or, or try to try to take a couple minutes of just being quiet. Hmm. Um, that, again, with a four-year-old, two-year-old, two and a seven-month-old, that's not very easy. There's not a lot of quiet time. But just try to think about worship. Try to think about... I don't know. Just just thinking about what, what whether what the sermon's going to be on, or I mean, I I am a part of our our um, worship services, whether that be doing the introduction, reading, or the, the the call to worship at the beginning, or doing announcements or closing, whatever that is. Um, so thinking about okay, what does the reading say? Um, taking a little bit of time on a on a Sunday morning to either read it or listen to it, uh, the passage that we're going to be opening with. Um, and then thinking about, okay, so how am I going to approach when, if I'm doing a prayer? What am I going to say in a prayer? What types of things am I going to pray for as we open a service up? Um, those types of things. There's just some basic things that I do. Um, in, like I said, it's not very consistent at this point. But that's things that I, I, I keep in my mind and try to do. We put the... We put the next week's, we try to put next week's text in every worship guide for this reason, so mm-hmm. that anybody in the church can can look it up and be thinking about that passage as they're um, in, in their personal devotions, um, just so that they can get ready. Um, what are some things that uh, parents can do with kids, maybe uh, older kids, that um, to prepare them for a Sunday morning? Really, I think if if you were to take the time to read the passage, and then you could ask older kids questions. Um, I like the way we do things here at Cornerstone, where if you if we're having Cornerstone kids, what they're hearing is what what Cornerstone kids is hearing is what was preached last week in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're looking at the same passages about a week behind, which helps parents. So as the kids are going to church the parents already have heard the sermon and so they can they could begin to ask those questions um they could they could um read the passage for this coming week or they could read the passage for last week with their kids to prepare their kids for what they're hearing if the kids are going to be in the service you can ask the kids the question you can read it with them family family worship is a, is is a great thing as a family to do to keep you centered you know on on the gospel i mean but in this having the passage there in the worship guide to look at makes it easy. You know, if you if you're trying to figure out what are we going to study, look at the passage you're going to be studying. We're working through Colossians. I mean, right now we've taken a little bit of a break to do this uh, this this series about the church. What of our what are um, the foundations or the um, I can't remember the, the word, but. Um, we're working through Colossians. So that's, as a family, you could read through the book of Colossians. I mean, it's a short book. It would take 20 minutes to read it out loud. Yeah. Or you could work by chapter by chapter, or you could work look just look at the next passage they're going to be doing in church the next Sunday and read that. But the idea is that you're, you're, you're intentionally thinking on a Saturday or on a Friday that in a couple of days it's the Lord's Day, and it's the most important day of the week for our family as Christians. And how can we as parents be preparing our children's hearts beforehand to come into the house of the Lord and to hear God's word and to be receptive 
Um, I just think an intentional effort in that way is, is a win in every direction. Well, we, so we look, we, we structure our services in such a way as to, as to create this, this structure that is built around the gospel that forms us. And we call this, churches call this a liturgy. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I didn't grow up in a traditional church. I grew up in, in charismatic and evangelical kind of churches where the word liturgy felt very like uh, Catholic, it felt like high church. It felt like if you have, if you're, if you're a church that has a liturgy, you are um, a dead church. It's boring. There's like a structure to it. There's no, you know, in 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 those days we would have said that this is like there's no room for the Holy Spirit in a liturgy. So why would we do a liturgy? What is the point of it? Well, to, to that point about um, if, if you have true structure, the Holy Spirit can't move. Well, that's under the assumption that the Holy Spirit can't plan ahead, you know. So, I mean, I, the, the Holy Spirit can still work in the structure of a liturgy. I mean, but but like you said, litur- I mean, liturgy itself, the, the word liturgy means form. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a form, it's a structure, it's a – and that helps us as people we're, when we're – going into a worship service if we know where we're going you know that's as part of part of when when we're preaching what we try to do at the beginning of our sermon is here's my points this is how long i think it's going to take you know we're giving this roadmap mm-hmm. for for what we're doing and it's the same way that that expands out into the way we structure our service is is we're we're showing there's a form there and it's centered around the gospel like you said and it's it's working in a in a certain direction. It gives people a roadmap of where we're going, and and there we have the different elements of our, our liturgy. So we start with a call to worship. We're reading scripture, um, and then there's a prayer. I mean, prayer is is huge in our in our liturgy because we have we have five corporate prayers within the liturgy. We have one at the opening. We have the pastoral prayer. We have one before offering. We have one before the sermon, and then we have one at the very end. So there's five individual prayers. So prayer is huge as part of our liturgy. And and that's because we're we're not there to worship the way we want to worship. We're there because God is a God worthy of worship and we're there to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we're we're coming before him with our prayers, whether we're the pastoral prayer. I mean we have and like I said, so we have we have a call to worship. And then we sing, we, we worship God. You see this patterned in scripture where there was, there was a whole sect of the Levites who were set aside for, for music. Um, and then you have um, the, the passage in Isaiah 6 where, where there's these, these, the singing of the, uh, of the seraphim where there's this antiphonal response. It's like the singing back and forth. You have the, when Christ was born at the incarnation, the yeah the the uh, singing of the angels the singing of the angels mm-hmm. you know glory to God in the highest it's it's a worship service singing is is important but then we 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 take a step back and we hear from God mm-hmm. preach from His Word and then as as that the as His Word is resting on our lives or applying it to our lives we come to that part of confession. And then there's that uh, pardon of sin, which we'll, we're going to look at those different elements as we work along. And then there's a benediction. It's a it's a it's a blessing that's given, um, and it, that as we 
it's it's a it's a blessing that's given as we go out from here. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that structure. It's all structured around we're we're hearing from God, we're singing praises to God, we're um, then hearing from God again in in the sermon. Then we're we're confessing our sin as that that is brought to light in the passage, and then we're we're receiving that pardon and that blessing as we go forward. It's it's that process of the gospel, you know that um, that's that's why we try. That's how we try to be gospel centered. I love it. Structure. I love it. I am late to the game. I I uh, we like I said we grew up in a charismatic environment where. There wasn't, there didn't seem to be the, any kind of intentionality in, in the structure of a service. And uh, I just love that we don't have to wonder how to worship God. God has already told us how he wants us to worship him. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the way it is with, um, you know, with you, with you and your spouse. Like, you know, you don't love your wife just how you want to love her. You have to have that conversation to know from her how she wants you to love her. And it's a little bit like that with the Lord. He he has already communicated to us how he wants us to approach him. And so as I was looking at different texts um, for, for how to preach a, this sermon uh, last Sunday, I had a lot of options in front of me. There's a lot in the scripture about worship and how God would have us worship him. Uh, ultimately, I ended up in, in, in Exodus chapter 20, and it, it's because at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, the Lord uh, says, I am the Lord your God, and I'm a jealous God. And one of the points I wanted to make here at the beginning of, of the Ten Commandments was to say, God is here communicating to his people, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how you come to me. And I want you to come to me in a particular way, because if you come to me in a different way, then I'm not honored in that, and I'm jealous of my honor. So I wanted to go there. But one of the ways I was really tempted to go with is I almost went later in Exodus. There's Exodus 25 to 30 is Moses' retelling of what commands the Lord gave him about how to make the tabernacle. And I was really tempted with playing around with some of those elements in the sermon, just kind of talking about, look how particular God is with his people. Like he was telling them exactly what color he wanted everything to be. He was talking about the different ways he wanted to make the stakes to nail down the tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness. And God is so particular about those little things. And why are we to assume that now suddenly after the cross, God is just all loosey-goosey and just doesn't care about the ways in which we approach him? Um, well, God only cares about our sincerity. He doesn't care about the form of our worship. Yeah, and 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 you look at the 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 whole thing about the tabernacle. You start looking at the tabernacle and the way it was structured, and there's all this this uh, floral type imagery and the 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 imagery within the the way it's structured, and it goes it takes you back to Eden, but then it takes you forward to the 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 final consummation of all things in uh, when we go to heaven. So there's. The, it's it's drawing all these things together. God created Eden, and then he and then then there was the fall, and so we're coming to God as sinners in worship, and He gives us He gave the the Israelites a structure, this tabernacle, and then and then the temple, which had images of Eden. So it's this looking back to when things w- w- before sin, mm-hmm. and but it also we know that that like we're. Eden is not the the goal. 
heaven is so much greater than Eden. And so there, there's God, God created that, those images even there where he gave a, a structure at the very beginning. And then he, he uses that same structure just in the, in the building. Like you're mentioning there, God cares about everything, mm-hmm. you know? So this is the thing that's um, is is also new to me, is uh, that we're not the first people to have this conversation. The Christians have been having uh, the conversation about how to do Christian worship pretty well since the beginning. And uh, I have a book here in the office called uh, Reformation Worship. It's one of my favorite books to kind of thumb through. And it goes through all of the different ways in which um, during the period of the Reformation, churches began to recapture some of these liturgical elements. Um, should have turned that off. If you reach up there and grab, there you go. I should do it. Um, how the the reformers and the churches just pick it up and there you go. Um, how, how the reformers sought to recapture some of these elements in in their normal Sunday morning gatherings. And uh, so liturgy isn't uh, isn't new, and it isn't old. It's the way we have thought about these things for a long time. So here, uh, Steve's already mentioned, we, we sort of have a number of things that we do uh, that we, f- we feel are uh, helpful in kind of re- being formed by the gospel. We do a call to worship. What is what is a call to worship, and, and sort of why do we do a call to worship? Typically, when when we do the call to worship, it's a it's a psalm or it's a it's a declaration of who God is. I mean, typically, when when you're when you put together, a lot of times you're putting together that um, that call to worship in the morning, and it's it's a psalm or something, and, and there's a de- kind of a declaration of who who is God. So it's it's a reminder who are we worshiping here. Um, it's one thing that I've been doing um, in family worship over the past, especially with this coronavirus thing um, going around right now. Um, is I've I've gone to Isaiah uh, chapter forty and forty one. I've gone to the book of Job when God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, and it's just I I, I want to remind us in in family worship. But then it this is kind of how we do it here. It's a reminder of who is God, and then from there um, we're, we're 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 being called into worship as we're reminded of who God is in this call to worship. And then there's there's the prayer that goes along with that. So we we're first thing we're doing when we walk up is when when the when the the service is open, there's a greeting and then there's a reading of scripture. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we want to do is hear from God in in our worship. And it's a lot of times it's hearing from God, from God's word about who God is. To and that that's that's important for us to remember as we walk into worship, because we walk in and we have all kinds of baggage from last week, is we need to focus ourselves on who is God and who am I worshiping as we move into the service. So I think, to me, that's the purpose of the call to worship. It's a calling us out of our week, our life, all, all of that stuff that's going on, and bringing us back to what's most important, and that is the question of who is God and how has God revealed himself to us. And then that enables us to actually worship him yeah. and not just seek for this emotional thing or whatever it is, but we're, we're thinking, we're, we're consciously thinking about who is God and how has he revealed himself 
And that leads us into, uh, the, it would be the word doxology. It's this, this praise and this uh, uh, worship of who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it because it's, it's, a, it's an orienting thing. It's just, this is who God is and this is who we're worshiping. Um, but I just love what you said, you know, how, how, how true it is that when we gather as a church, we are doing something unique. It's different. It's not anything we do the rest of the week. We gather with God's people and we, 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 we hear from God, we sing God's praise, uh, and we are gathered as a people separate from the world. And that is, that is wonderfully neat. So after that, after we do a, a call to worship, we generally go into singing. And uh, singing has been a part of uh, the followers of God have always sung. Um, Sarah and I are working through uh, Exodus. And we, we just recently read through Exodus 15, which I think is the first song in the Bible recorded. So God's people have always been a singing people. There's a whole book called Psalms, which is a collection of songs. And you fast forward even into the New Testament, you see the Lord Jesus leading his disciples. What a precious picture this is of them in the garden one of the last nights that Jesus lied before his crucifixion, and they're singing together. Um, and uh, then you fast forward into the New Testament church, and uh, you see the Apostle Paul instructing songs, instructive songs, uh, which we looked at in, in Colossians just recently. Uh, so why do we sing, and what's important when we sing? What are we trying to accomplish when we sing songs? One of the things that's why we sing is song has a way of, you know this if you have kids or if you have, or if you've grown up with certain songs in your life, right? There's a Kenny Chesney song. I know that that you're not a big country fan, but there's a Kenny, Kenny Chesney song that says, whenever I hear that song, I go back, right? So songs have a way we connect mentally with song and the message of song and the way that in the words of song it's just god created us in that way so that that song is very important to us like you go back to to the 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 early fourth century so the 320s this is after the 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 persecution of the church has really ended this constantine is the pope i mean it is the 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 um emperor emperor uh, of rome and there's this guy by the name of arius and he's he's teaching things that are against scripture about who Christ is. One of his main ways that he did it was through song. He taught his followers song, and that was how his his thought process about who Christ is was spread through the people. He was he was known as a, a tall, handsome guy with a great singing voice. He was a great musician, and so he's. He's using song because song is so accessible to people. People remember things um, through music very, very well. Um, we do a catechism with, with the kids at night. And each one of the questions and answers in the catechism has a song that correlates with it. And, and so on the app that I have on my phone, I have it on my iPad, um, when we're doing them, I can ask the question, and Waylon's working through learning how to answer them, and then I can play the song, and it's it's just the, that question and answer repeated in song, and it helps them learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, I posted a little video on my Facebook last night of Waylon doing his catechism questions, and so I don't know if you, if you noticed at the end of one of the questions, he kind of repeated the end of the thing. He was trying to sing the end of the song that goes along uh-huh. with the question. Mm-hmm. So song is important because we remember things, and song. 
I'm a, I'm a singer and there's, you can, the emotion that you can express in song and like, that's important, you know, and it's, so not only can you remember things, but it, it helps you harness your emotions almost, um, it, that that might sound sound weird to say, but like it, it helps you express things. Uh, poetry is is really important as far as how language is used in poetry, um, and that's that's what song is all about because it's it structures it in a way that we can we can remember, but it it brings things down and makes them very succinct. Oftentimes, when when you put it to poetry, put it to music, because you can't just say everything in a song you're 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 put within the the parameters of of the the meter and the bars and the the the, the music sh- provides parameters and structure that you have to stay within and so you have to be very clear and succinct and so theology is great to be learned and well in the case of Arius who was a heretic it was awful to be learned through songs but people remember songs and that's one of the reasons why we sing and we like i said before we we see that modeled in scripture well we see that in colossians three sixteen. let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and then paul throws this curveball saying singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so there is a an element of the word of christ dwelling in us richly as we sing and i've said it many times i think that's probably my favorite part of gathering is when we gather and um, Corey Breath does just a phenomenal job at leading us every week. And one of my favorite things that he does is when he will just drop out, the music drops out and uh, I can just hear everyone else singing. Like I can hear, uh, I can look over and I can, I can, all often just at that point in the service, I'll just stop singing so that I can hear and listen. And I'm often so encouraged because, you know, as a pastor, I'm sometimes involved and kind of let in on what the Lord is doing in people's lives. And so I'll look over and I'll see a sister in the Lord who I know is going through a situation and she's singing of the, this rich truth about who God is. And I know it's impacting her in a particular way because I, I sort of know what she's going through. Um, or I'll just see little, little kids. One of my favorite things is just to hear the girls and the guys, little kids singing um, to the Lord and um, it's just so important. I, and, and so this is one of the reasons why at our church we, you know, the music is the music is, is great quality, uh, and the level of the music in terms of volume is lower than it is in other churches. And it's not I, I don't I don't think it's sinful to have big loud band where it's just you know thumping bass and everything. I love that stuff. But for us in our little church, what we're trying to do here, um, we've tried to make it important that when you're sitting in the in the congregation. You're, you can both hear yourself sing, and you can hear the person next to you singing. Not just what's on the platform, but you can hear all of us singing. So after we sing, uh, we usually move into a pastoral prayer in which uh, myself or someone comes up to the platform, and we offer a prayer. And um, is this awkward at times? Have you ever found it to be awkward? Like just someone else is praying, and you're just there. Do we- I wouldn't, no, I, I don't find it awkward. I mean, that's... What do you do while well, I'm pr- up there praying? What, 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 what are the people supposed to do? Well, I, I, I appreciate one thing that you have been doing this year when you're doing the pastoral prayer is 
you you have been praying through Psalm 119, mm-hmm. which is which is fantastic. So you're, it, Psalm 119 is broken down into these eight verse sections. Mm-hmm. Each one follows a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You know, so it, it's broken down. It's it's chopped up really nice and easy for us. And so what we've been doing has been praying through one of those sections. Well, it's it's great because, and and you tell people beforehand, this is what I'm going to be praying through. Um, and even, even if we're not praying through a, a portion of scripture, like you have been, um, we'd say, this is what we're going to be praying. These are the things we're going to be praying for as we move into, into the pastoral prayer, the prayer of intercession, as we call it. Um, but especially when you're, when you're praying through scripture, tell people, and, and a lot of times I'll, I'll open it up to that passage and I'll, I'll kind of read through mm-hmm. as you, as you're praying. Mm-hmm. And, um, so in, if you're, you're telling us beforehand, this is what we're going to be praying for. We're going to pray for this thing. We're going to pray as far as, uh, Psalm 119 goes, we're going to pray for this thing for our church or our community. And then we're going to pray for this other church. That's one thing I love that we do here is we're praying for other churches in the area. We're not, we're not, uh, um, we're not trying to isolate ourselves. We're not trying to, to think that. We're the ones who have the gospel right. We're not. What we're we understand that there's other good, godly, gospel-centered churches, and we we know that that is by God's design. Christ will grow His church, and so we're going to pray that Christ will work through those other churches, and we will support those other churches. We'll pray for those other churches one Sunday morning, and that helps. I think that helps us as a people as we're as we're sitting there and we're praying with you. Maybe we're praying silent, but we're we're hearing the words that are prayed. We're we're learning to pray, as it, that is being modeled, um, and we're we're praying with you as you're praying through these things. And then it it helps us to remember we're not here alone when we're hearing of this church down the road over here, or this other church in a couple towns over, or and and you're mentioning the names of the pastors a lot of times, and and just remembering there's other good churches, other believers. We're not in this alone. I mean, we're, we're, we're the church of, we're, we're the body of Christ in this place, but we're not the whole body of Christ. But there's a risk in that, isn't there? If we're going to be up here on the platform saying, um, you know, Lord bless this church that's literally five minutes away from our church, isn't there a risk that some of our people would end up leaving here and going there? Define risk. I mean, maybe, sure. Okay, so maybe some somebody from here decides, you know what, that church sounds really good. Maybe they're a better fit. But the reality is, is this isn't about us. Yeah. This isn't about the size of our church. This isn't about um, the the number of people we have or whatever. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if the church, if if somebody from here finds that they are better discipled and their their growth is better because that's where God has placed them. God's leading them to that other church. Or if they know someone who goes or there. Or if they know somebody who goes there. And they can and, disciple that person in that context better. Exactly. If if that's the case, God be with you. We are we are all for it. Mm-hmm. It's if there were like we're not gonna get everyone from Pickle, Ohio mm-hmm. at our church. They're not gonna get everyone from Pickle, Ohio at their church. But together, their our church, their church, whatever these other churches, we can be bringing 
not we, not us bringing, but Christ can bring his people to his churches that are all a part of the universal body of Christ. And, and that's, that's fine. We, we don't have to have everybody here. It's, it's not a competition. Yeah. We're not trying to steal sheep. We're actually trying to give them away. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Pastor Harry does that to me a lot. You know, he's like, we've got, we've got someone in our church, and uh, I think you'd be better served down in Piqua. <laughs> um, that's how we grow this church. We just take the rejects from everybody else. So, mm-hmm. um, so we get to the main point of the service, which is, um, which is the, the preaching of the word. Is that really the main point of the service? You know, I just just said I I enjoy the the singing as much as anything else. Is preaching the main point of what we get together for? Like, can you do Sunday morning and not have a preaching of God's word? I think we see that modeled in in the early church. I mean, so I, I have here opened um, Acts chapter two, uh, verse sorry verse 20, 42, and it's um, this is Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon. And it says there are about 3,000 souls saved. Uh, and it's it, the, the first thing that it says they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. Well, what was the content of the apostles' teaching? It was the word of God. It was the gospel. And in that, in that time period, this is, this is, what, 120 days after Jesus had gone to heaven? Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a written New Testament yet. So they were preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. They were So all of Scripture, it says in, in uh, uh, Timothy... It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the purpose of preaching is to proclaim the word of God. And that's why we preach verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book through scripture. Because we're trying to preach the whole counsel of God. That's why we don't preach topically. Because we want to let right scripture... Now. Well, except right now. <laughs> but, but even in a topical sermon, what we're doing, we're trying to say, okay, what does this text that pertains to this topic. That's what you call biblical theology right there. And so we're, we're looking at the, 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 the theme. It's about, I guess that would be more systematic. So you're looking at the theme of the, of the passage, and you're, you're preaching that theme particularly. Um, but when you're preaching verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, what you're doing is you're, you're saying you're allowing the Scripture to drive the narrative. And so you're hearing from God, and that's, that's the point. That's why, and so, whereas singing um, is us offering praise to God, this is where we're receiving from God, which is, which is more important, like, this is how we worship, this is a, a huge part of how we worship, is we're receiving these blessings from God, and that's why we're singing praises to Him, because we're, we're praising Him for the blessing He's given us in His Word, and through the, through the preached Word. God is a speaking God. Exactly, and in in the Old Testament, it's one of the ways he distinguishes himself from false worship, from false idols. You know, often in Isaiah, he'll say, "Yeah, but I talk." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like these mute idols—they can't do anything for you. I speak, and God is a speaking God, and God has always created with His speaking through 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 the administration of Him speaking. He. Uh, has formed his people, he has made the world, and he continues to use speaking to to form his people into the image and likeness I mean, of his it, son. That, that whole idea of speaking, go back to the third verse of the Bible. It says, and God said, let there be light. Mm-hmm. Go back to the first verse of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's 
something about Christianity is that it's it is a spoken, it is it is a revealed truth, you know, from Scripture. God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture, and so that's that's the point of preaching is to see God and to understand who God is and to understand what He has revealed to us about Himself and how we are to live in light of that. Because mm-hmm. there's not everything in Scripture is this is who God is. But everything that where it tells us to do something is based on this is who God is. Therefore, this is how we live. That the, the, it's the the uh, indicative comes after the imperative, which which you've mentioned multiple times. So you're saying God God's word created God's people, and so that the church didn't give us the word of God. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, because I know some people might take issue with what you just said. Well, so we have, at the end of the preaching, we we generally approach, um, we we generally go into a a confession of some kind. And uh, a lot of churches have a confession at a different point in their liturgy, uh, but we, we have chosen to put it at the end of the of the sermon you have any reason why why would we do it that way well the, i think it's because and this is through conversation that we've had um in in one of the one of the books that we we've worked through as we're learning to preach is is a book by a guy by the name of brian chapel and he talks about as you're preaching you're looking for what's called a fallen condition focus you know, so you're, you're looking at, in the text, it's going to show you your sin. It's mm-hmm. going to show you how you are fallen and why you need Christ, why you need the gospel. And and so it seems natural that after the word has been preached, then you have been shown why you need Christ and the gospel because you were a fallen in Adam. You're shown those things through the word. At that point, when you come to confession, you can be specific hmm. about what you're confessing of, right? Yeah. So God has just spoken to you through his word. Um, and the goal of the preacher is to not give you his words, but try to, to the very best of his ability, interpret the scripture for interpret the scripture so that we can understand it. So that we can then confess of the things that it's showing us and draw us into deeper dependence on Christ. We 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 talked earlier about Isaiah chapter six, and you see something like that in Isaiah six. You see this God being revealed, um, and you 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 see the the angels, the seraphim, kind of singing God's praise, and then once the prophet Isaiah encounters the Lord and he sees holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory, the first thing you see Isaiah doing is saying out loud, I'm not like that. I'm different. You are holy and I'm unholy. That We are different. There's a separation between us. That I am a, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And so we hope that that's one of the, responses that all of us have 
Once we have seen who God is in Christ revealed through his word, our response would be, I'm not like that. Yeah. And we would turn to him, not turn away from him, but to turn to him and, and in confession of that sin. And I really like what you just said. It does. It does put a fine point on exactly what we're saying. Because it's one thing to say, woe is me, I am a sinner. But it's another thing to say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. It's putting a finer point on the actual sin. And so then at the end of this confession, we have an assurance of pardon. You had mentioned it earlier. Why do we need an assurance of pardon? Don't we already know that God is merciful and Jesus has died on the cross for our sins? Why do we need someone to assure us? Because maybe we do know that, but we still, it, it does help to, to, be, to hear that. You know, we, we have assurances of pardon in Scripture. We're, like you go to the, the famous one in First John, right? If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Or we're not, or no, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we need to hear over and over again that we are assured of our pardon. Mm-hmm. That, that it's, it's not... Um, it's, it's, we're, we're not going to hit the point where God's like, all right, I've, I've forgiven you this many times, we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... God is a God is a God who does forgive us. It says in in uh, Proverbs, a wise man falls seven times, but he gets up seven times. You know, so that's but that's that's where the importance of confession. Confession means to turning away, uh, repent mm-hmm. is the word we we use. Repent means to turn 180 degrees, move in the opposite direction. So that's and then as you're moving in the opposite direction, you're receiving that pardon. You're receiving that assurance again. It's like um, if you've ever read the book. Um, actually, I know you. I know you have uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I love the part in there where, um, at the very beginning of Christian's journey, after he comes to the wicked gate, he and he he receives a couple things, and one of those is a scroll. That scroll represents his assurance of salvation, is what that represents, and he keeps it tucked away in his his coat. Whereas he's walking up the hill difficulty, halfway up there's an arbor that's designed for just to sit and to relax and to rest for a little bit. And then, and then you're supposed to continue on. Well, Christian, he, he's, he, come, he, he gets to that arbor and he falls asleep. And then he, he wakes up and he realizes, I've been sleeping, I need to be moving. So he gets up and he, he keeps on going up the hill. Whereas he gets near the top of the hill, he realizes he's lost the scroll, that scroll that signifies assurance. The assurance that you are pardoned of your sins. And so he weeps and he goes back down the hill and he gets that because we, we need that continual assurance. We're not always going to feel assured of our salvation. That's why we need that that spoken over us through through scripture is why we need that. As husbands, as fathers actually, we have an opportunity to do for our children what the Lord does for us in the assurance of pardon. That when our children have sinned against God and sinned against us, and we have to discipline them, um, I think we we do well if we uh, offer them that assurance. I'm still pleased with you. Like you have sinned against me, and and we have repented of this, and I have forgiven you, and I am pleased with you. And the assurance of pardon, I think it just gives us all that sense that 
because of Christ, because of the, 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 the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and through his resurrection, I am in him and God is pleased with me. Mm-hmm. And I think what a gift an assurance of pardon is to our people. We end the service every week with some form of, some, some form of benediction. Benediction is a very churchy word. What, what is a benediction? What, why do we do it? What is the point of it? Uh, a benediction is just a, uh, a, a proclamation of blessing. You know, you're, um, it's, a, it's a, a proclamation, an invocation of divine help is how some, as, um, some would describe it. So you're, you're, you're asking for, you're not just asking, you're, because when we do our, our benedictions, we're going to scripture and we're, there's benedictions throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament. And so we're pulling out, a, we're, we're looking at those benedictions and those are read over the, over the, to, to the church as we close out our services. And so that is a, that is, again, we're back in scripture. This is the word of God and God is speaking to us his blessing and, and, and that it is, it's like a assurance. So it's, it's a reminder that he will help us. It's a reminder of his blessing that he, so it, this, the point of a benediction is to, um, it's a blessing to people. I actually heard, listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about benedictions and they, they asked it. And the question was, what should be the, the proper posture during benediction? Should you, should, should it be kind of like a prayer where your, your head is down, you're kind of listening or, and the the all three of the people on the podcast they said they they said well, I think you need to be looking the the people of the congregation be looking at the person offering the benediction and that person need to be looking at those people so this is you're, you're it's not a, a time you're not praying necessarily what you're doing is you're 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 hearing from God being spoken from from His Word a blessing over you you know and so you're you're turning your face. To hear and receive that blessing. Yeah, and it's a and it's ascending as well. Yes, you know it's yeah, a yeah. kind of this is this is who we have heard God to be, and we're rejoicing in that, and we're being assured of of the, the fact that in Jesus we've been forgiven, and we are being blessed and sent. What a blessing it is! I I just um, I love Sunday morning gatherings, mm-hmm. and I love the structure that we have sort of fell into, and. Um, I love talking about it. I mean, there might be two or three other people that share that love of church structure. Um, but if you are interested in any kind of uh, more resources uh, about what church structures and liturgies are, a couple of resources that have been helpful for me is uh, Brian Chapel. You mentioned him earlier when the preaching book. He has one on Christ-centered worship. Corey mm-hmm. Breath and I went through this some years ago about how the gospel shapes our practice. And it's just called Christ-Centered Worship by Brian Chapel. That's a good book. Another one that I have uh, recently come into is a book by um, James K.A. Smith uh, called Desiring the Kingdom. And I, I riffed off of this a little bit in the sermon last week. It, it kind of explores this, this idea that uh, we have different liturgies in our life, cultural liturgies, and the Sunday morning gathering is a counter-liturgy that forms us and shapes us. And then the last one is um, one that I've never read, if I'm honest. We just got it. I literally got it today. It was going to be given to us at uh, Together for the Gospel. May it rest in peace. And uh, it's called, How Does or Does God Care How We Worship? Ligon Duncan wrote it, and I'm looking forward to uh, thumbing through this one. 
and taking a look at this. Um, but it's really all about everything that we've been talking about today. Steve, thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, Hopefully fun. we can good uh, times. Yeah, good times. Hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Uh, but God bless you all. Thanks for listening in, and uh, look forward to this, uh, Lord willing, next week as we uh, take a look at uh, Christ forming discipleship and we sort of riff off uh, some of the texts that we looked at on Sunday. So um, have a great one, and hopefully we'll see you soon.